Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I am doing a solo podcast as I mentioned on the last episode of the Female Fitness Podcast. I am going to do a bit of a Q&A episode. I asked for your questions and I really appreciate all of you who took the time to message me and ask me questions. However, there was only a handful of you and I know that there is between 1,300 and 1,700 of you listening to the Female Fitness Podcast every week, which I'm so incredibly grateful for. You guys, that is incredible and I can't believe I've got the podcast to a point where that many people are tuning in on a weekly basis. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you it genuinely blows my mind how that many of you are listening to this podcast. However, that means that such a small percentage of you actually reached out and asked me questions. So for the next one, I want more of you asking me questions. I want you guys to interact with me so that I can make this podcast the best it possibly can be, so that I can make it enjoyable, so that I can make it information-packed, value-packed, and serve you to the very best of my ability. So now, right now, as you're listening to this, I want you to go over to Instagram, type in my name, which is Danny Bosworth, D-A-N-N-I-B-O-S-W-O-R-T-H. And I want you to send me a question for the next podcast Q&A. It can be absolutely anything at all. It can be training related, nutrition, nutrition related. It can It can be health related, it can be to do with the post-show process, the transition into life after bodybuilding, and it can be to do with all of the work that I've been doing with Charlie on the Flourishing Competitor. It can be on anything at all, even like general life. It can be to do with independence, um, solo travel, like literally anything that comes to mind. I want you to think of a question right now and send it me on Instagram. It can be anything at all to do with the coaching process, fitness, health, whatever that might be. I just want to hear from you and I want to make sure that I'm making these podcast episodes, especially the Q&A episodes, value-packed, information-packed and entertaining as well. So I would love to hear from you. Like I said, there is between 1,300 and 1,700 of you listening to this podcast on a weekly basis. And I only got a handful of you reaching out to me to ask me a question. So I need more of you to interact with me so that I can make this the best it possibly can. So please reach out, drop me a DM on Instagram. I want to hear from you. Um, And so I'm going to dive into the topics for today's Q&A podcast. And to begin with, the first question, this lovely woman started by saying that she'd been listening to the podcast for a while and loves my mentality and how I view health and fitness which I really appreciate thank you so much for saying that and I'm so glad that I can serve you via the podcast thank you so much for taking the time to listen it means the absolute world 
her question was, I was wondering what your thoughts or advice would be on building muscle tissue whilst only being able to use very low weights. So it is absolutely possible to build muscle tissue when you only have access to minimal load. I will start with that. And lockdowns were a proof of that. You know, when we all had access to very minimal kit, we were training in our gardens, in our garages. And I had so many clients make incredible progress with hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is building muscle tissue. For those of you who don't know, I had so many clients make absolutely ridiculous progress through those lockdowns, even when they just had access to their body weight bands and some very small dumbbells. So it absolutely can be done. It just requires time patience some smart programming and a bit of thinking outside of the box what is really important is that you manage your expectations it's going to be slower than in comparison to you having access to a wider range of kit and being able to train with heavier loads so you need to manage your expectations and make sure that they are realistic you're not going to make progress at the same pace as you would if you were able to use heavier loads. And it's really important to manage those expectations so that you don't feel disheartened when progress is slow. But even if progress is slow, what matters is that you're moving forwards, not the rate at which you're moving forwards. So don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself and be realistic with your expectations. You'll feel so much more satisfied with any progress that you do make if you manage those expectations as opposed to setting them unrealistically. Research shows what's important is that you are working within a close proximity to failure, not the actual load that you're using or the number of reps you're performing. So, for example, training is still effective if you're using really low loads. Say, I don't know, you're having to perform 15 to 20 reps in order to reach anywhere near failure. That is still going to be effective from a muscle building perspective. It's still an effective stimulus as long as you are within a close proximity to failure. So as long as you're still training hard. So it doesn't necessarily matter what rep range you're working in or what load you're using. What matters is that you're training within a close proximity to failure and you're pushing your limits. So that's something that's really important to remember. So don't use the fact that you've got limited kit available or like limited load available as an excuse not to train hard, because if you don't train hard, you won't build muscle tissue. So that's something that we need to bear in mind. On top of that, we need to be applying progressive overload over time. But this doesn't have to come in the form of more reps or more load. Progressive overload can come in the form of slowing down your eccentrics improving your form as a whole, improving your range of motion. 
it can come in the form of adding in isometric holds. For example, you could add in an isometric hold at the top of a hip thrust where your glutes are in their contracted position. That is something that I often use with clients, especially if they've got limited load available or if um, it hurts to have the bar resting on their hips with a lot of load. So adding isometric holds. Um, and it can also come in the form of increasing volume, training volume over time, over the course of a training block or mesocycle. But that doesn't have to be more reps per exercise necessarily. It could be increased number of sets per exercise over the course of a training block. So you can use that as a a way of applying progressive overload over the course of a training block, increasing sets per exercise. It just might mean that you have to train for longer each session, or you might have to do more sessions over the week to get that training volume in. So what I'm trying to say is you might have to invest more time into your training if you do have minimal load or minimal kit available to you. Your sessions would probably be shorter whilst you're still able to apply progressive overload if you were training in a gym environment and were able to use a wider variety of loads. We can also play around with different tools such as occlusion training, which is otherwise known as BFR or blood flow restriction. And blood flow restriction training is something that I used with clients during the lockdowns when we had access to very minimal kit. Basically, what this consists of is restricting the blood flow to a muscle. So, for example, if you were doing an occluded leg extension, you would put either a blood flow restriction band or a tourniquet. You can get cheap medical tourniquets from Amazon if you want to try occlusional blood flow restriction training. I've done this personally, by the way. I've tried it myself. I've used it when I was struggling with an injury. Um, so it, it certainly has its place. And I found that it was very effective for me personally. It's also kind of fun and rewarding in the moment because you get a really good pump from blood flow restriction training. So I used to do like occluded leg extensions and my quads would be so pumped and like what people would call swole afterwards. Um, so it's quite rewarding from that perspective as well, because you can actually see like you're getting a really good pump. Um, so yeah, blood flow restriction is something that I've used personally. I've used it with clients. You can get a cheap medical tourniquet from Amazon. And essentially what you want to do is, like I said, restrict the blood flow to the working muscle. You don't want to completely cut the blood flow off. So it's really important to make sure that it's not completely cutting your blood flow off. It's not too tight. You want it about like a seven out of 10 tightness. But the benefit of blood flow restriction training is that you can get away with using very low loads whilst it's still being an effective training stimulus. So you don't have to use anywhere near as much load as you would on a, a regular set where you're not using occlusion training or blood flow restriction. And if you are in this situation where you are training with minimal kit available or minimal load available to you due to your circumstances, 
you need to make sure that you're absolutely nailing factors such as nutrition, stress management and sleep in order to cover all bases and increase your chances of success when your training conditions are not optimal. Make sure that you're getting four protein servings in every single day, spread throughout the day. And each one of those protein servings wants to be of at least roughly 20 grams for most women um, as a minimum. And ideally, if you can get those 20 grams of protein from the most optimal, the complete protein source in each meal, that would be best case scenario. So an example of some complete protein sources might be meat, fish, Greek yogurt, whey protein, eggs, things like that. So make sure that you're getting four protein feedings in your diet every single day, spread throughout the day. Make sure that you're consuming plenty of fruit and veg because you want your health and your digestion to be in the best place possible. You will only utilize the nutrients that you can digest and absorb effectively. So we want to keep digestion and overall health in a good spot. If you are training, make sure that you're having a good pre and post workout meal to prioritize training performance and recovery from your sessions. And what I mean by that is make sure that your pre and post workout meal has a serving of protein in it. Make sure that it has a decent quantity of carbs in each one of those meals. And you might want to put a little bit of fat in your pre-workout meal as well just for a nice steady release of energy, especially if you're having it a couple of hours before you train. So there's some guidelines. And on top of that, number one needs to be your calorie intake. You will maximally develop muscle tissue if you are in a slight calorie surplus. You can still gain muscle tissue at maintenance, but it will be a slower process. And so if your training is not optimal from the get-go, if you're not able to train with the loads that you might like to if you haven't got access to certain kits you probably want to make sure that you are in a very slight surplus to increase your chances of gaining any muscle tissue if that is your goal because just staying at maintenance will make the process slower um, but that being said, you don't want to be in an excessive calorie surplus because then you would just gain unnecessary body fat, which we don't want. So you just want to be in a very, very, very slight surplus if your goal is maximal muscle tissue development. You definitely don't want to be dipping in and out of a calorie deficit because that will slow down your progress with muscle gain. And so if your goal is muscle gain, make sure that you are consistently eating out of a calorie deficit with your sleep try to maintain a consistent bedtime and wake time regulate your circadian rhythm make sure that you are winding down before you go to bed do something that gets you into a relaxed state ready to go to sleep make sure that your bedroom is cool and dark Try not to consume too much liquid in a couple of hours before you go to bed. Generally, if you consume a lot of liquid in a couple of hours before you go to bed, what you'll find is that you wake in the night to go to the toilet. So try and consume your fluid regularly throughout the day rather than like waiting until certain time intervals and then downing it. Try and just consume liquid consistently throughout the day and then limit it in the hour or so before you go to bed.
I would also recommend not having caffeine after midday. Caffeine has a half-life of around six hours. It does differ between individuals, but around six hours is where most people, where the half-life of caffeine usually falls. What that means is when you consume a cup of coffee, six hours later, half of that caffeine is still in your system. So if you had a cup of coffee at midday, at 6 p.m., half of that caffeine would still be in your system. And so some of that caffeine is still going to be in your system when you then go to bed. That is likely to have an impact on your sleep to some extent. So we want to cut caffeine around midday. And like I said, ca caffeine's half-life can vary. So for some people, it might be longer than that. Stress management is also really important because physical stress in the form of training and mental like psychological stress will both have an impact on our recovery capabilities and we will only adapt in a positive manner to our training when we can actually recover from it so stress management is absolutely essential you might utilize tools such as journaling meditation making sure that you're getting fresh air, daylight every single day, making sure that you're doing things that make you feel good, that get you into a relaxed state. You could try some deep breathing or box breathing. Make sure that you stay organized in your daily life because that will help you manage your stress levels to the best of your ability. If you're the type of person who's super busy every day, make sure that you're doing things like planning your meals in advance, maybe meal prepping, because that will help massively. And yeah, just doing everything you can to manage stress. The tools that will work for you will be very individual. Like what, what works for me won't necessarily work for you. So it's important to try different stress management tools, find what works for you and then keep a list of those things so that if you're ever feeling stressed or anxious, you can come back to that list and be like, these are the things that make me feel good. These are the things that make me feel calm and relaxed that I can rely on if I need them. And then you can come back to that list and utilize it. So they are some things that I would recommend implementing or considering staying on top of if you're trying to gain muscle tissue with minimal kit or minimal load available to you on the whole. The next little bit of this is going to give some context to the individual's question who asked this question. And then I'm going to dive into her individual circumstances in a little bit more detail. But I wanted to cover gaining muscle tissue with minimal load or minimal kit available in general first, because that's something that I think a lot of people will find useful to hear. Um, because I know that there are a lot of people who maybe train at home and want to gain muscle tissue. Or, you know, if God forbid, if we ever had lockdowns in the future, or if you ever went on holiday and still wanted to train, there are ways in which you can still hit the basics and fundamentals mentals manage stress levels manage sleep manage recovery and make your training effective as effective as possible with what you have access to to enable you to still gain muscle tissue despite not having access to a gym or a wide range of kits and this can also be used if you're in a rehab process 
if you've just been injured or if you've just had an operation of some kind. And that's something I'm going to come on to in this next little section. And so the next little section of this question to add some context and perspective to this individual's situation was, she said, to give some perspective, due to being sick, I've lost a lot of weight slash muscle tissue. I've just had bowel surgery and I am not allowed to lift anything above 10 kilograms at the moment or anything super heavy anymore in the future, as I'm not allowed to increase my, abdom my abdominal pressure too much. Honestly, my doctors told me I'm actually never allowed to lift anything, anything anymore in my life, which was a huge slap in the face after lifting for eight years. However, as a med school student, and according to my physiotherapist, that's just nonsense. And so with this situation, realistically, you probably will be able to get back to some resistance training. It's just going to be really important to be really careful, take it slow and steady. Anything that causes pain or discomfort, just don't do it. And you're, with your individual circumstances of not being able to increase intra-abdominal pressure, it's going to be really important to stick with exercises where you're not having to brace. And so resistance machines like your leg extension, hamstring curl, abduction, adduction should be realistic for you to get back to at some point. Just take it really slow and steady. And when it comes to upper body exercises like lateral raises, tricep extension, bicep curls, red out fly, face pulls, potentially chest supported pull downs and rows. I would maybe do single arm variations so that you're not having to use as much load. But ultimately these things you will be able to get back to. It will just take time. And it's really important not to rush that process because you don't want to end up going backwards. You don't want to end up with any complications. And it's going to be really important to work with, work with your physiotherapist and your medical professionals as well. You know, take on board their advice and do the right thing and just be super patient with it but you can still move and it's so hard when you're ill or injured and you're not able to train the exact way in which you would like to train. But what's really important is to work on changing your perspective under these circumstances. It's really important to practice gratitude for what you can do. Otherwise you will just, you'll feel crap to be upfront about it. If you focus on what you can't do, you will feel like crap. Whereas if you focus on what you can do and practice gratitude for your body's capabilities, you will feel so much better about it. So change, I can't do this into I get to do this and I'm grateful that I'm still able-bodied. I'm still able to move around. I'm still able to explore the world. You know, these things are great things that we all have to be grateful for. 
and practicing gratitude can make a huge difference to our lives and the way that we view the world. So think about your perspective during these circumstances and remind yourself that your current state, the way that you feel right now, is temporary. It will pass. You might not be able to get back to training exactly how you were doing previously, but you can still progress. You can still regain muscle tissue. And there's a lot that you still can do. So try and practice gratitude for that. And I'm sending all my love. I really hope that the recovery process goes well. I know we've had a bit of a conversation on Instagram about what you could do in your circumstances, but yeah, just work with your physiotherapist, make sure you're doing what they tell you to make sure that you're consistently staying out of a calorie deficit. Like I've just discussed nailing stress management, nailing your sleep um, and training how you can given your circumstances, because there is plenty that you will be able to get back to doing. And you will be able to regain some muscle tissue. So have faith in that and practice gratitude for what you have. And I wish you a speedy recovery. I will really look forward to following your journey and seeing how you get on. The next question was my question to you. This is quite a big question. So I've broken it up into a few different sections, but I'll talk through the question as a whole to start with. So this person said, my question to you is, do you think that you should transition from a prep coach to someone like yourself after a contest prep? I got into bodybuilding not to be a bodybuilder and more to prove that I can be disciplined, but I'm very scared about post-show. I haven't competed yet and I'm scared about binge eating. And every time I look old photos of myself, I think that I look fat. I know that's a lot. So I'm going to break this down into sections. The first question I'm going to cover is, should you move from a prep coach to someone like me after contest prep to help you through the post-show period and help you transition into life after bodybuilding? And so the answer to this is it very much depends. It mostly depends on what your current coach is like and what support they provide and how educated they are. Some prep coaches don't provide much support through the post-show process, or they don't know how to help clients with aspects of the process, such as improving their relationship with food and body image. If this is the case and your coach doesn't provide that support or doesn't know how to coach people with improving their relationship with food, with improving their body image, with the struggles with loss of identity you might face, If that's the case, then you should probably consider switching coaches and maybe have some conversations with other coaches and see if they're right for you. What I personally do is I offer a free consultation call to anyone who is interested in working together just so that we can essentially find out if we would be a good fit. I don't make anyone sign up there and then in the moment when we have a consultation call. It's just an opportunity for us to talk through where you're currently at, what you've been through, what your goals are. And you can ask me any questions that you have. I will ask you a few questions about your current situation and what you're wanting to achieve and what you're looking for in a coach. And then you can go away and make an informed decision on whether coaching with me is right for you. So that call is completely free of charge and there's no strings attached. Most coaches will offer this 
And so don't be afraid to get in touch with coaches and ask them if you can book in for a call to see if you would gel, see if you would be a good fit. And then you can make an educated decision on what, what's right to do from there. On top of that, if your coach places heavy emphasis on your external appearance and hasn't spoken to you about improving your health post-show, then you probably need to switch coaches because post-show, the priority is your health. You need to get your health back intact. And actually, you know, if you want to see maximal progress from a body composition perspective you need to make sure that you've recovered from a hormone health perspective first anyway because you won't respond as well as you could to training unless your hormone health is intact and so your coach needs to care about your health and they need to know what to do in order to improve your mental and physical health and so if they place heavy emphasis if all of your coach has ever spoken to you about is placings and your physique then you probably need to switch coaches if your goal is not to step on stage any longer. If you feel like you can't communicate with your coach openly and honestly, for example, if you overate one day, do you feel like you could tell your coach? If the answer to that is no, you need to switch coaches post-show. Another thing is if you feel like you can't talk to your coach openly about things like your period, you need to change coaches because that's an important focus area when it comes to post-show or transitioning into life after bodybuilding. Also, if you don't think that you want to compete again and your coach specializes in contest prep coaching, if they just purely coach bodybuilders, it's likely that another coach might serve you better. Just because sometimes if you are not a competitor, but you're being trapped like a competitor, it can sometimes be quite damaging and you can be setting your expectations of yourself a little bit unrealistically. For example, you might be doing things like sacrificing your social life or cutting out entire food groups, which could be first of all it's unnecessary and it's taken away from your ability to live your life but second of all it could be quite damaging like if you are labeling food groups if you're using terminology like cheat meals um or off-plan meals and if you're cutting out food groups it can be quite damaging from a relationship with food perspective and it's really unnecessary to do those things especially if you're not a competitor and so often it can be really beneficial to work with a coach who's not a prep coach if your goal is not to step on stage. So that's something to bear in mind as well. However, if you have a really good relationship with the coach who has taken you through prep, if you feel like you can communicate with them openly and honestly, if you have spoken to them about the ways in which they're going to support you post-show then absolutely so with them why not you don't have to change coaches if your coach is serving you well but if you think another coach might serve you better then that's your choice you're investing in a service you're investing in a person and you need to put yourself first and make sure you're investing in the right person in the right service for you as an individual so that you're not causing harm to yourself essentially 
if you have any further questions on that please don't hesitate to get in touch and if anyone is interested in working with me like I said I do provide a free consultation call which has no strings attached where we can basically just get to know each other in a little bit more detail and see if we would be a good fit so please don't hesitate to drop me a direct message on Instagram letting me know that you'd like to book a free consultation call or email me and I would be happy to chat with you. The next part of this question that I broke it down into was being scared about post-show and binge eating. So first of all, it's really important that you recognize there's a difference between having a binge eating episode or having a binge and overeating. So usually, usually, putting an emphasis on usually, binge eating is, um, it consists of eating very large quantities of food, but not always. Sometimes it, it's not always a, a really large quantities of food, but what um, the difference is when someone has a binge, it's accompanied by intense feelings of guilt and shame and they feel out of control when they're having that binge. So if, for example, they can't just decide to stop. Whereas if you've just overeaten, say someone's had, I don't know, a few cookies or something like that or some cake and they've chosen to have those cookies or they've chosen to have that cake, that is a choice that is overeating it's not out of control. It's not a binge. Binge eating is out of control without conscious decision and conscious thought around it. That person would not be able to stop in the moment if they decided to stop. So recognize the difference between the two. On top of that, you can have a binge without having binge eating disorder. I, for example, would not work with someone who currently has an eating disorder because it's beyond my scope of practice. But I might work with someone who has had a binge and help them prevent that in the future. So there's a difference between these different things and it's really important that we recognize that. If you have an eating disorder, it's really important that you try and seek professional help um via you can try and go through the nhs there's also a website called beat um so have a look at the beat website and you, there's obviously private um therapies and things like that as well but i'm going to dive into this question so being scared about post-show and the potential of having a binge not binge eating disorder having a binge having an out of control overeating episode so first of all, it's really important to recognize that when you're stage lean, your body does not want to be there. And your hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin, are thrown off. And so when it comes to post-show, when that goal of stepping on stage is removed, but you're still stage lean, your body's natural response is going to be to tell you to eat it's going to give you the signal of hunger. It's going to tell you to eat because it wants you to regain body fat because you need to do that to be healthy again. And so you're not alone for feeling incredible hunger. 
On top of that, we can sometimes develop leptin resistance when we're incredibly lean, which can exacerbate that to the point we feel like a bottomless pit. And so it's really important to recognize this so that you know this response is a result of what you've put your body through and so that you know to expect this feeling of being a bottomless pit and so that you know your hunger is going to exceed your energy requirements and you don't have to eat every single time you are hungry. It's really important to recognize that because if you did, you would gain significant body fat because your hunger hormones are thrown off. You may have leptin resistance. You may feel like a bottomless pit. And therefore, if you were going to eat every single time you were hungry, you would gain excessive amounts of body fat. That would not necessarily be permanent. You might gain excessive amounts of body fat and then it might settle once your hunger hormones have settled but it's really important to recognize that your hunger will exceed your energy requirements post-show and so with that being said it's really important to have a plan in place otherwise you'll really struggle with this and you'll feel very out of control and you will feel very lost if you don't have a plan and so With this being said, remember, I've just said that your hunger hormones are completely thrown off. You're going to feel like a bottomless pit. We need to do everything we can to help you manage hunger. And to keep some structure in your life to begin with, so that we can manage this period and get you healthy again, so that your hunger hormones have stabilized and are much more quote unquote normal. And so what I recommend is that you maintain the same meal frequency that you have had through prep initially post-show for structure to begin with and keep in lots of nutrient-dense, high-volume foods. Just increase the quantities of the foods you are already having and add in a little bit of what you fancy. So, for example, chocolate or ice cream alongside your satiating meals with the extra calories that you have because you will have more calories available when you stop your contest prep what you want to do is go straight up to maintenance so you'll see an initial bump of a few hundred calories maybe and then you want to reverse diet from there you do not want to keep yourself in a deficit you do not want to slowly reverse from the end of your diet So if you finish your diet on 1,200 calories, you don't want to slowly reverse from there. You want to go up to maintenance and then reverse from your maintenance. Remember that your new maintenance will be lower than what it was in your improvement season or your off season because you're a smaller person and your metabolic rate will have downregulated a little bit. So it's really important to remember that. Anyway. You want to go up to your maintenance, an initial bump of maybe a few hundred calories and then reverse from there. So with that, those new maintenance calories, you'll have some more calories to play with than what you did when you were in prep. So what I'm saying is keep your meal structure the same, keep your meal frequency the same, keep your food sources very similar, but use those extra few hundred calories to add in a bit of something enjoyable, like a bit of chocolate or like a bit of ice cream but have it alongside a meal or after a meal. The reason I recommend you do that is because 
if you had it on its own, say you started eating some chocolate on its own as a snack in between meals or before a meal, you would be, you'd find it much harder to regulate your quantities to stick with a moderate amount of that food. Whereas if you have it after you've had a very satiating high volume meal containing a protein serving, protein is the most satiating macronutrient, you'll already feel much more satisfied and you'll be able to control the quantities of that food that you're introducing much more easily in comparison to having it on its own. So start to introduce some of these more palatable, enjoyable foods, but do it in moderate quantities alongside a satiating meal like a salad or something so that you can control the quantities of what you're having much more easily. And as time goes on and your hunger hormones stabilize, hunger starts to settle a little bit, you start to feel a lot more normal, your cravings settle because you've introduced more of these foods. You can then start to get more flexible with your diet. But in the initial post-show period, it's really important to maintain some structure as it will help you a lot. And I would usually recommend that most people still track initially post-show to help them regulate this period of time, which is quite difficult to navigate. And so you also need to make sure that you're working with a coach who cares about you and they're willing to get you up to maintenance straight away and then reverse from there. You need to identify your values in life. What are your top five or top 10 values right now? If you don't know, get to know them, write them down, order them one to five or one to 10, and then set goals in line with those values. Do you have work goals? Do you have performance goals? Do you have fitness goals? Do you want to improve the nutrient diversity of your diet because one of your values is health? These are just some examples, but it's really important to make sure that you have identified what your values are in life right now, post-show, and you need to set your goals in line with those moving forwards. For example, if you value health, it would be counterproductive to try and stay stage lean. That would be acting out of line with your values. And so if your value is health, you can say, right, okay, my goal is to increase body fat. And that is in line with that value. And that is now progress to me. So it's really important to get to know your values and set your goals in line with those. It's also really important to recognize your new measures of progress. Switch your focus areas. You're no longer looking for a decline in your scale weight. You're no longer wanting to focus excessively on your external appearance immediately post-show. You don't need to be comparing your physique to your stage lean physique. These are all quite damaging things to do post-show. And so we want to switch your focus to the measures of progress which are now relevant. That could be having a regular menstrual cycle. It could be ovulating every month. It could be seeing your strength go up in the gym. It could be seeing your fitness levels improve. It could be seeing your skin get clearer. It could be seeing your hunger subside. It could be seeing your hair get healthier. It could be improving your social life, having energy to walk around outside. All of these things are exactly, it could be an improvement in your work performance, your cognitive function. 
all of these things are measures of progress that you can use post-show that are in line with your your goals and the the goal of improving your overall health um, and recovering from the prep that you've just been through. It's also really important post-show to practice gratitude daily, change your perspective and appreciate the positives of the process because there are so many things that you probably had to neglect through prep or things that you weren't able to enjoy that you now have to be grateful for. And it's really important to recognize this because it will help with your perspective on the process. It will help make it more enjoyable. If you practice gratitude for your ability to go for food with family or friends or your loved one, if you practice gratitude for your ability to have more freedom in terms of you don't have to plan your entire day around your meals and your training session and your steps, if you practice gratitude for having more time and energy for other aspects of life outside of training and nutrition and your your body, if you practice gratitude for having more money available to you to spend on yourself, invest in yourself, because you no longer have to spend it on travel and accommodation for your shows or your tan and your hair and your makeup all of these great things for your menstrual cycle function for your sex drive all of these things are things that we have to be grateful for post-show that can really help with that attitude towards the process because if we recognize these things it becomes enjoyable it becomes amazing it becomes a rewarding process and it no longer feels like a drag or like a negative so recognize these things the next part of this question that I wanted to cover was every time I look at old photos of me now I think I look fat but she knows it's not she she knows she's not really fat in those pictures and what she means by this is so she this individual is now stage lean when she looks at pictures from before she started prep she thinks she looks fat now this is largely due to a warped perception of what quote-unquote normal is and a warped perception of what quote-unquote lean is as well because when we start a bodybuilding prep we often surround ourselves both in real life and on social media with other body bodybuilders so our perception of what normal is really really gets warped we compare ourselves to bodybuilders as opposed to comparing ourselves to the general population and the nature of bodybuilding is that we're always comparing ourselves to others because even when we step on stage we're asking for judges' opinions on us and we're comparing ourselves to the people that stood next to us. And so when it comes to post-show, something that can really help is to surround yourself with a diverse range of people in a diverse range of different bodies, both in real life and on social media. So spend time with your friends that don't compete on social media unfollow or mute a lot of bodybuilders and follow a lot of different people in different bodies that will help massively with your perception of what is normal and it will help you avoid 
comparison so frequently. Um, so that's something that is really, really helpful. And again, just go, going back to practicing gratitude for the positives of the process and taking your focus away from your external appearance, taking your focus away from your scale weight can help and focusing on your body's function. Um, you might try activities such as yoga. It can really help with your body image or appreciation of your body's function, as well as it helping with the mindfulness and your ability to be present you do quite a lot of breath work in yoga as well as holding certain poses such as inversions and well you don't always do inversions but they're a part of it and they're something which can be beneficial um so yoga can be a really beneficial practice meditation can help you bring you to the present moment um and this the reason I keep saying you know do things that bring you to the present moment focus on being present is because doing that will help you take your focus away from your external appearance it will help prevent you pining over your pictures of when you were stage lean it will help you practice gratitude for what you have it will help you enjoy your life and focus on the positive elements of the process um, and it will have a positive impact on your body image as a whole reduce your body checking post-show so stop you know you don't need to be grabbing your skin to see how much body fat you've got you don't need to be checking yourself in the mirror five times a day your body's not changed your body doesn't change much from it from one day to another never mind for several hours so stop body checking call yourself out on it whenever you notice yourself doing it ask yourself is this serving me the answer to that is no so stop doing it and stop posing in your bodybuilding poses as well because when we pose in our bodybuilding poses it's only natural to then compare ourselves to when we were stage lean because in our bodybuilding poses it's obviously stage lean where we do those poses justice it's stage lean where we do those poses and that's what we class as success because that's the end goal when we're in those poses and so if you pose when you're not stage lean, you're automatically going to compare your body to when you were stage lean and see yourself as less than. And so that is going to only make your body image worse and again, potentially warp your perception of your own body. So stop posing in your bodybuilding poses. If you're going to take progress pictures, I'd recommend just standing up straight or doing like a a normal everyday pose what normal people do if you want to do that um, and you might even just take a break from taking progress pictures and take a break from your scale weight as well because that can often help a lot of people um, because at the end of the day you don't need to take progress pictures in the post-show period you've got other measures of progress that are much more important um, and so they are my recommendations and it's really important to focus on the way that you feel perform and function as opposed to your external appearance because your view of yourself your perception of yourself will be warped after going through a bodybuilding prep and your perception of what is normal will be warped as well and so that's something that will take time to change it will take time for you to get back to a no having a normal perception of what is normal and for your perception of yourself to normalize as well and no longer be skewed. So there's my advice.
And I had another comment saying, hey, I really enjoyed your podcast. I've thought about traveling, but have no one to go with. And you've made me really think about doing it myself. I'm so glad I've had quite a few of these questions and I'm so happy to hear that because traveling alone is so empowering. It's something that I think more people should do and probably a lot of people think of, but then hold themselves back from doing it. And, you know, even my mom said to me when I said that I was going alone, she was like, I can't believe you're going on your own. And I was like, yeah, of course I'm going on my own. Like you can't wait for other people to live your life. And it's a really empowering thing to do. I love traveling. I love visiting new places. It improves my happiness. It improves my quality of life. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel more productive. In life, we need to be intentional about doing more of the things that make us feel good because we only get one life. We only get one chance to live in this present moment that's here right now. And so we need to take advantage of that and do the things that make us happy and do the things that make us feel fulfilled and see the world if we want to see the world. And I know I talk from a position of privilege when I say that because there is a financial cost to it, but it's for me it's worth it and I also don't I don't spend a shitload of money on myself outside of things like travel and outside of things like investing in my own work and my own education and so where a lot of people might spend money on I don't know Botox or like loads of new clothes and things like that I would rather spend money on traveling (laughs) and um it's also something which is like I see as an investment into myself and into my own happiness, like I said, and I'm very grateful, very, very, very grateful. And I do not take my position for granted, but like I said, I do sacrifice in other areas so that I can do this. And there are a lot of people I know who do have the means to be able to do things like this. And for example, Budapest is actually a very cheap destination. My flights were like 80 pounds and the food and drink here is really cheap. And I found quite an affordable Airbnb as well. Um, And there are always ways of making things more affordable. Like I'm such a good bargain hunter when it comes to travel. So yeah, I'm so good with that. Um, And yeah, just a disclaimer, like I don't make shit tons of money, nowhere near a lot of other online coaches, but I love what I do. And I am just so aware of the fact we only get one life and we only get one chance to live it. And so I will do whatever I can within my means to live it in a way that makes me happy. And solo traveling is also just so empowering. It's so nice to know that you can do things on your own and you don't have to wait for anyone else. You don't have to wait to have a partner. You don't have to wait for your friends to be available. You can run your own schedule. It's so empowering and so wonderful and such a great experience that I'm so grateful for. So more of you should do it. And if you have any questions, please let me know. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast, guys. Like I said at the beginning, I have like 1,300 to 1,700 of you listening to this on a weekly basis, which I cannot believe. But I need more of you to interact with me so that I can keep this going. I need more of you to interact with me so that I can make this the best it possibly can be, provide you with as much value as I possibly can and to make it enjoyable 
So please interact with me. I want to hear from you. Send me a message on Instagram. Let me know that you enjoy the podcast. Let me know your question for the next Q&A. I want to know one from each and every one of you listening to this right now. Um, and just add, as always, if you guys do want any supplements from Fallbought, you can use the code Danny10 to save you a little bit of money. There's no pressure with that, but it's there if you want it. I don't make money from that, but it will save you some money. And I do currently have online coaching spaces available to work on a one-to-one basis with me. And I would absolutely love to have you, especially if you've come from the podcast, because you know me, you know how I work. And I'm sure if you listen to the podcast, we would make a great team. And I would love to help you achieve your goals and become the best version of you. So please get in touch if you're interested in one-to-one coaching. I have a limited slot, limited number of slots available and I will see you in the next one.